For the ANA Champions of Growth podcast, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Welcome to a special Halloween-themed episode of our show. Being a CMO can be a pretty scary gig these days. Always wondering if that new and costly ad campaign is going to move the needle or crash and burn. Looking over his shoulder about the latest marketing platform lurking in the shadows. Walking on pins and needles when budget season creeps up. But in a post-digital age, the job may be getting even spookier for CMOs as they face constant howling from the C-suite to spike returns, monetize the company's social media channels, and tear down the business silos. Then there's the little shop of horrors that is the MarTech stack, with its growing tentacles twisting and turning, begging CMOs, feed me, feed me. Here to talk about the scary truth about being a CMO is Jonathan Kapolsky, senior lecturer at the Medill School of Journalism, Media, Integrated Marketing Communications at Northwestern University, and the Executive Director of the Medill Spiegel Research Center. He's co-author of The Transformation Myth, Leading Your Organization Through Uncertain Times, which was published last year by the MIT Press. From 1997 through 2017, Jonathan was principal at Deloitte, where he was Chief Digital Officer, Chief Brand Officer, and Chief Marketing Officer. Jonathan, great to have you. Delighted to be with you, Matthew. Jonathan, in this post-pandemic environment we're embarking on, is it making things scarier for CMOs in the sense that CEOs' patience for more accountability and solid returns from marketing is now even thinner than it was before COVID? Not sure if I'm quite ready to declare post-pandemic, but yes, I think the expectations are high. I think we're living in this incredibly volatile times. I think that CEOs and shareholders are high expectations for now, let's get the growth engines going again. When you consider the growing responsibility CMO face, dealing with an ever-expanding number of media channels, stakeholders, and with only so many resources, you just referred to it a second ago, are the expectations from the C-suite regarding CMOs getting too far afield? with the result being a vicious cycle and companies burning through CMOs? I don't think so. I do think that the job has gotten more difficult, it's more challenging. I also see more and more talented CMOs in those roles, but it's not gonna get any easier. You're familiar with the decline in CMO tenure and and the increasing churn among uh, CMOs out there with some companies getting rid of the CMO role altogether. General Mills and uh, Lowe's come to mind. Uh, Lowe's just uh, got rid of the CMO altogether just a couple of weeks ago. Do you think the situation altogether is leading to more burnout among CMOs, Jonathan? I think there is higher burnout. I do think what you just described as trying to do more with fewer resources is much higher. But I think the biggest cause of burnout today for CMOs is finding the right talent and keeping the right talent. And I, I think this is true kind of across the board for all functions, but particularly in marketing, finding the individuals who are capable of working today's multifaceted world of marketing and keeping those people, getting them excited, motivating them at a time when the role of marketing has increased tremendously. I think it's just getting more and more difficult. People who want to the quiet quitting and the great resignation are all things that have hit marketing particularly hard. Does that, uh, however, also suggest that it's incumbent upon marketers to uh, really uh, get outside their comfort zone when it comes to recruiting talent? I mean, is it really expanding their aperture for talent in, in a bigger way? 
Absolutely. I think looking in different places, different skills, different types of training. But I also think it's incumbent upon marketers, as well as every senior executive, to provide the individuals that they do have with the opportunity to continue to learn and grow and expand their skill set so that they're motivated to continue to want to stay at the companies where they've been hired because it's exciting to come in every day. What we've discovered in all the research that we've done, Matthew, is that the key to keeping employees is providing them with sufficient growth opportunities that come through both informal and formal training, whether it's done internally or through outside parties. But having that kind of training opportunities is the most critical currency that you can provide to employees beyond the salary and the benefits that you offer to them. Jonathan, when we spoke previously, you mentioned that in many companies, part of the problem for a lot of CMOs is the lack of media savvy among their CEOs. Well, the media landscape uh, keeps on getting more and more complicated. Do CMOs need to find a way to educate the C-suite on media and digital literacy, which may then help to inform more realistic expectations so yes, absolutely. I do think it's not just a lack of media savvy, it's a lack of marketing savvy on the part of many senior executives in corporations across the United States, across globally. I do think it is, once again, a key role for the CMO to anticipate what are the expectations that the C-suite's going to have relative to different types of media, to different types of marketing opportunities, and so forth. So for example, If I were still back in my CMO role, I would say one of my big jobs would be to educate my C-suite is about what's the future of the metaverse? Does it matter? Do we need to be doing anything? Should we be doing pilots and experiments and so forth? Because even if they haven't heard it from internally, every CEO is probably reading something, whether it's a report from McKinsey, from A&A, whatever, about the future of the metaverse. And I want to come at it from a different angle, Jonathan, in terms of dealing with the C-suite. One of the responses you got from a query regarding this podcast about what's scariest about being a CMO, and one one response just really cracked me up, which was, and I quote, two seconds of lunacy from the unth node. It sort of reminded me of a uh, title of an Ed Wood movie. And if I read in the interpretation correctly, does it come back to this fear Uh, among CMOs that after investing X amount of time and money into a new branding campaign and new marketing effort, uh, someone from upstairs is going to do something on a whim that may just wreck everything and subvert the possibility of success. Are CMOs set up to fail? Well, the issue that you described is a very real issue. I wrote a book about 11 years ago called Brand Resilience, and it was all about the sabotage that can unwittingly take place with brands. And it could be a supplier, it could be an employee, it could be a CEO who just do stupid things. And sometimes those things are not intentionally designed to hurt a brand, but the net effect is to completely undermine all the efforts that you put in, in terms of building the brand, building brand equity, building the reputation, building all the goodwill. So what I suggested then, and I've just rewritten a version of that book, is that's going to be critical that CMOs become risk management experts so that they can anticipate all the risks that may happen to their brands and start to educate colleagues, employees, etc., as well as take preemptive steps to start to recognize when the tides are shifting and they need to be prepared for this thing that happens from the end node. But that still puts the CMO 
in a somewhat precarious position. I guess I'm trying to get at how uh, CMOs sort of mitigate that unth node, if you yeah. will. Well, I think it comes from starting to what we would call risk intelligence, starting to anticipate what things might happen, partnering with their chief risk officer, partnering with this chief technology officer, so we can do it. You know, 10, 15 years ago was the first time that we had a breach of credit cards at Target, and that was known nationally. Now we just take for granted that we will have privacy breaches mm -hmm. and other types of breaches. So if a CMO is not making a list of all the things that could happen and starting to understand when they might happen, she or he is not doing the job that they were hired to do. Okay, and another uh, response to your query that I found very salient that I wanted to share. You know, we're, we're living in these very challenging times. You know, all of us are dealing with our own Michigas, pardon the expression, and we've never been more connected, uh, yet we risk, uh, as this uh, person mentioned, isolation and misunderstanding each other. And that is marketers and marketing leaders, excuse me, we, uh, quote, really must put particular focus on connecting with and listening to each other. Sounds fairly fundamental, but is it underestimated in the CMO's wheelhouse right now in terms of really having that talent for listening and helping that to inform strategy? When you first talked to me about doing this podcast, the thing that struck me and the quote that you just uh, talked about was we are living at a time of polarization that I've never seen before in my 65 plus years of life. And that polarization is along political dimensions, it's along geographic dimensions, it's along every single dimension that we could imagine. And so it is very easy for us to underestimate the degree of resistance that different audiences may have to messaging and so forth, as well as underestimate when we take an action, when we say a word, how that might be received. So I think your point about listening and being able to hear and understand and stop for a second about pushing our message out and making sure we hear those messages is more important than ever before, because I don't think it's going to get better before it gets worse. Stay with us. There's more to come. We now take a break for a brief message regarding ANA Newsstand. The ANA produces four in-house publications covering the latest developments and trends in B2C, B2B, brand purpose, and across the industry at large. With practical insights from leading brand marketers, agency partners, and industry experts, our publications are designed to give marketers the real-world intelligence they need to drive growth and boost their value. Find the publications at ANA.net slash newsstand. And now back to our show. Welcome back. I'm talking with Jonathan Kapolsky, senior lecturer at Northwestern University about what's scary about being a CMO. Jonathan, your book, The Transformation Myth, is based on five years of research into digital disruption and includes a series of interviews with business leaders conducted during the pandemic. What are the most salient takeaways for CMOs to understand disruption and the tools to navigate it? The big lesson that we learned both from the research preceding the pandemic and the research that we did during the pandemic is the degree of shifts that are taking place with unexpected velocity. And so the word that I think the ANA actually had for 2020 was pivot. And I think that the need for pivot 
is as important in 2022, if not more so than it was in 2020. So the skills are really understanding that we've got the right early warning system to help us understand when to pivot, how to pivot, how quickly to pivot, and do it in a way that allows us continue to deliver service to customers and continue to deliver the products and the capabilities that have always been important to customers, which is why they choose it. And I've watched companies and we talked to you know, what Marriott was doing, for instance, and Hilton. And I think some of these companies have just done a tremendous job at times of shrinkage. And then other companies like FedEx and Amazon, which have done a tremendous job in pivoting as volume just exploded exponentially through the roof. There are a difference between pivoting and shifting, and as in a difference between tactical and strategic maneuvering? I think that's a great question. I think both of them have to happen at the same time. And great CMOs and great CEOs recognize when this is a temporary tactical shift versus when it's a fundamentally strategic shift. And so I look at pivot as being potentially both. You know, how can we potentially shift the direction and center of gravity for our industry, but also how can we potentially do something a little bit different? So, for example, you know, during the pandemic, many, many companies went to contactless delivery. I think that's with us to stay, but I look at that mainly as a tactical shift. On the other hand, you and I have talked about B2B businesses. I think B2B businesses have witnessed a fundamental shift in looking at things like digital channels as a way to interact with customers. And that strategic is not just a tactical one. And back to your book for a moment. What is the transformation myth? What do marketers need to disabuse themselves from as they otherwise think about business transformation? Because you well know that that term is tossed around uh, like water. And uh, again, it could mean you ask 10 people, you get 10 different answers. You know, we, we've been in this world of people talking about transformation, as you suggest, for many years. I remember Michael Hammer and business process reengineering going back now 30 years. And we still talk about these terms of transformation. The concept of the transformation myth is it's a myth to believe that there's a beginning and there's an end. So in today's world, particularly with all the digital technologies that we have available to us, this is ongoing. We can't like stop, take a breath. We'll have a hiatus for a couple of years, then we'll get back to it. It is mm-hmm. ongoing. I think mm-hmm. the acute disruption caused by COVID just reminded us of that. But we can look at all these other acute disruptions, everything from what's going on in Ukraine and the disruption of energy supplies in Europe to the polarization that we talked about a few minutes ago, which will continue to provide disruptions that require that ongoing transformation. I want to shift gears slightly and talk about attribution marketing. I mean, is that something that's getting really scary for CMOs? Do CMOs sort of uh, twist themselves into pretzels trying to figure out just, again, which tra- channels drove which outcomes, which is going to inform the, the budgeting? What are some of the ways for CMOs to get their hands around all that? If we think about attribution marketing, the concept is very simple. We want to understand what activities that marketers undertook led to the outcomes that they're trying to achieve. A real simple concept. The problem is we have a lot more activities than we ever had before. And sometimes the outcomes are not just a purchase or repurchase. Sometimes they're recommendations. Sometimes that they're, you know, writing a review on Yelp, whatever could all be activities that we may want to try. 
to strive for. So I do think it's getting a lot more complicated because at the same time, our ability to track data about what customers are doing is sometimes being challenged with this world that we're moving to, which is cookie-less world and where increasingly consumers are more and more consumed by privacy. So we had this tantalizing moment where we thought we knew what customers were doing. And now that's starting to ebb and potentially disappear with you know, the erosion of this currency that we had, which was cookies. So to me, the key thing that CMOs need to start to think about is how do they build direct relationships with customers in this cookie-less world and create first-party data opportunities, particularly for those who go through distribution like consumer packaged goods companies. Is the pending demise of third-party cookies freaking out CMOs? And uh, are they getting, uh, I mean, I'm we're seeing anecdotally as, as well as statistically that, you know, a lot of CMOs are still leaning on that third-party stuff. I wonder if that's necessarily a really bad thing because Google, they could, you know, they could punt this thing till, you know, the cows come home. It's frankly in their interest to keep on punting with the, with the demise of third party cookies. Or am I being naive? No, I, I think, look, this is not going to happen tomorrow, but five years from now, they will be gone. And, and so it's really sort of, you know, how do we transition ourselves into this thing? And when we talk about first party customer data, it's more importantly, how do we build relationships with customers so that customers build enough trust in us so they're willing to share data with us about their shopping habits or predilections or behaviors and so forth? And absent that, you know, we can have this great strategy about how we want to acquire and manage data, but we better really focus on the underlying issue, which is building trust between brands and consumers so that those consumers are willing to share data with us. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the third party data issue, you know, that's a legal manifestation which has come about because of events in other countries which have then spilled to the US. But I, I think that's also symptomatic of customers saying, I really don't want to be tracked all the time because I don't trust what brands will do with the data. So I think part of the job of a CMO is to be the steward, if you will for the trust that gets built between brands and their customers. And staying in this sort of uh, Halloween theme, Jonathan, I wonder if data management, MarTech, is that the real monster in the room for CMOs right now? And I'm, I'm talking about both uh, CMOs who you know were conditioned on analog as well as those you know uh, who grew up with uh, digital, just in terms of getting around uh, their, their hands around all this voluminous amount of uh, data what are some of the ways to, uh, excuse me, what are some of the tangible ways to tame the beast? Yeah, I have to chuckle. I started my business career working for a direct marketing company, Time Incorporated, which at that time was the biggest publisher of magazines. It had Book of the Month Club and a number of other things. And many of the things that we were doing in terms of building direct relationships with customers were kind of predecessor to what we see today in terms of trying to build these direct-to-consumer relationships And so this, at one level, is not new. I think what's new is, as we talked about before, the diversity of media, the diversity of populations, the diversity of behaviors, diversity of product. So it's gotten more complicated because it's multiplied in terms of the complexity of it. But the fundamentals of thinking about what data we want to gather about customers, building processes to do it, building the technology to house it, and so forth. Those, some of these things have been around for 
50, 60 years going back to the world of direct marketing. There it was mail, now it's email, and pretty soon will be the metaverse and social, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I do think the technology is getting better and better. You know, the advent of customer data platforms or CDPs is one example of it. But that also means that CMOs need to either be individually savvy or have members of their team who savvy to really figure out how to continue to evolve the stack of technologies that they're using to enable their interactions with customers. Do you think CMOs need to be more discriminating when it comes to their tech stack? I think the, the choices continue to get richer and richer. And richer is a code in some ways for complex. And I, I do think that means that CMOs need to figure out how, you know, what's the balance between complexity that adds value versus complexity that just complicates things. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think that will be sort of the challenge. I, I do suspect, it's my prediction, is with these enterprise marketing cloud companies like Salesforce and Adobe and Oracle and SAP and HubSpot for small medium enterprises, there will continue to be a consolidation of different capabilities. They will be, do a better job of integrating these things. And so right now we're still at this world of complexity because of the plethora of choices and the diversity of applications, but that stuff will get better. I also think that artificial intelligence and machine learning will help to simplify some of the tasks right now where we're trying to kind of do things with technology, but there's still a lot of people with fairly sophisticated skills that are needed to operate the technology. And that will get easier. And as we start to wrap up, Jonathan, I wonder if uh, in terms of the MarTech stack and data management and giving uh, CMOs uh, just these uh, perpetual headaches, do you think things flipped when marketers went from having the data serve them to being subservient to the data? The frequent complaint that I hear from marketers is not that they don't have any data, they have too much data, and they haven't quite figured out what to do with all the data, but they don't seem to be able to get the data that they need to do given things. So I, I do think there's a bit of a, we need to step back and what do we really want and how will we collect it, how we use, and that sounds very simple, but it's complicated because there is such a diversity of sources of these things, but it's, I'm sure you're like me, and I'm sure many of the people in the audience feel the same way. I've given so much data to some companies, and it's like, why, in God's name, aren't they using that data effectively? Because they should know a lot more about me. I've got a pretty robust profile on LinkedIn. It describes what I do. And I happen to work at Northwestern University. I teach marketing. You would not believe the number of emails that I get Oh, yes, I would. <laughs> Which are asking me about, could I use their services to improve marketing at Northwestern? And I have zero to say about it. And it would only take a quick peek at my LinkedIn to yeah. discover I'm not the guy in charge of marketing at Northwestern. I'm yeah. just thinking. And with that, we'll have to go to our lightning round. And Jonathan, very eager to get your take here, which is uh, what is the most important challenge facing CMOs right now, you can pick just one. Talent, talent, talent. I think finding the right people and more importantly, keeping the right people. And if I were back in my role as a CMO, which I was before I came to Northwestern at Deloitte, I would be worrying, how do I get the next generation of marketers? And how do I make sure when I bring them board and they learn my business that they are still there 
so that they can grow and help us to grow the business. Okay, and uh, we'll have to leave it there. Big thanks to my guest today, Jonathan Kapolsky, Senior Lecturer of Marketing at Northwestern University. To learn more about his book, The Transformation Myth, go to Amazon.com. If you would like to recommend a guest or topic for a future episode, please email me at mschwartz at ana.net. And be sure to subscribe to Champions of Growth wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Thanks for listening.